Our mission is to deliver capabilities that enable our warfighter to fight and win. And as we develop these new aircraft, equipment, and technologies, there's a need to understand the role human factors play in operational safety. Today, you're going to hear about a program that's bridging the gap between science, engineering, and the aviation community, and helping us to better understand why mishaps occur and how to prevent them. Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue, and joining us today to tell us more about the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program is aerospace experimental psychologist, naval aviator, and the lead human systems engineering instructor with the Naval Test Pilot School, Lieutenant Commander David Rosowski. David, welcome to the show. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for having me. It's uh, it's a real privilege and honor to be here. So, David, tell us a little bit about yourself. Talk to me about your career and your how it's led to your current position at the Naval Test Pilot School. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm Lieutenant Commander David Rosowski, call sign Popo. I've been in the Navy for about going on 12 years now, and I've been an aerospace experimental psychologist since the beginning of my time in the Navy as a 2300. Prior to the Navy, I had a background in pre-med. I grew up in South America, uh, quite a bit of clinical experience, and always had an interest in medicine. And as I went into undergrad, I, I quickly realized while I had an interest in the clinical side of medicine, the laboratory side, and some more of the more uh, basic science sides didn't have the same draw that engineering and aviation did for me. I switched over to psychology, applied human factors, and uh, I was applying to the Marine Corps. I wanted to fly helicopters in the Marine Corps in undergrad, but my eyes weren't good enough. So that door closed, and I continued on to my master's in aviation human factors, and then went on to a PhD in industrial engineering human factors at Purdue University. After finishing up my PhD program, I applied to the Navy for the Aerospace Experimental Psychology Program, which is effectively the human factors branch of the Navy. It's a, a staff corps designation under the Medical Service Corps, tasked with human factors, industrial organizational psychology, and cognitive and neuroscience research for the Navy. There's about 33 of us, and there's only been about 170 since the program started in 1941. After finishing training, I got accepted to the dual designator program, or aeromedical dual designator program, and went to Corpus Christi to learn how to fly the T-6, went to the TH-57, and then on to the MH-60 Romeo as an anti-submarine warfare pilot, where I reported to Jacksonville, and I did two deployments ab aboard the USS Truman. At the completion of my operational tour in the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program, there's a requirement to have a payback tour on the uh, back in the staff corps side. And I was offered by Mr. John O'Connor at the test pilot school prior to him retiring if I wanted to teach the human factors curriculum at the test pilot school. And that's that's where I'm at now. So tell me a bit more about the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program. Why was it created? Yeah, absolutely. The Aeromedical Dual Designator Program was really created by Admiral Moffat back in the 1920s, maybe 1930s, depending on how you look at it. It's a little bit nebulous. The intent of it was to take human systems specialists and provide them additional training so that they could understand what the operational requirements and implications were of flying in order to better inform their decisions from a practitioner or engineering standpoint. One of the 
very interesting aspects was early on, before we even saw the major decline in structural, aerodynamic, propulsion, and electrical failures in aviation that's made it one of the safest, if not the safest, transportation mechanism in the world today, Admiral Moffat had an appreciation and understanding that humans, and not necessarily structures or propulsion or electrical engineering, were going to be the major cause of mishaps. And today where we're at, that accounts for about 85% of the mishaps within aviation, not just in the DOD, but in the civilian world as well. David, what drove your desire to participate in the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program? The intent of joining the Navy with the Aerospace Experimental Psychology Group was to gain more understanding of how, not only how aviation operates, but how military aviation operates. In the civilian world, we take an airplane from point A to point B. That's the extent of the mission in 95% of the uses of aviation. In the military, we have an understanding of how to maneuver the aircraft from point A to point B, but we're doing it for a very specific reason, which is primary to just moving the aircraft. In joining the Aerospace Experimental Psychology Program, we do have a requirement to fly four hours a month in order to gain experience. But I felt that with my background as a commercial pilot in the civilian world for fixed wing and helicopters, that I was reaching a limit to what I could glean as a passenger observing or reading in books vice what I could understand as an actual either pilot or NFO. And that's what started my application to the program. It was a desire to learn more, to better inform my decisions on critical design challenges for aviation, hopefully reducing that 85% down by making inputs. But it was done with this desire of trying to heighten that understanding to better provide uh, feedback to the design process and work in the collaborative team. Absolutely. So tell me more about the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program. What is the purpose? The Aeromedical Dual Designator Program, early on, if you looked at how we accomplished selection, flight deck design for airplanes and helicopters, or even just airplanes early on with, with you know fabric-based wood, wood aircraft, information flow, the manner in which we operate and control the vehicle, those have incredible impact into the success of a mission. And so the question that I pose is, how do we ensure that we provide the best interface and the best design to maximize the potential for that mission? And that's what, in my view, the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program is what it's trying to hit at the heart of. We focus on the human systems aspect. So the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program is comprised of mostly physicians, and a few physiologists and a few aerospace experimental psychologists with the focus of being the expert and the understanding of what the human limitations and capabilities are within the system in order to better inform the design, testing, and execution of said aircraft. How does this program really benefit naval aviation? In 1945, the Naval Test Pilot School was established. And around that same time, other test pilot schools were established as well. That pedigree of individuals that were selected for those programs came from things like structural, mechanical, aerodynamic, propulsion, electrical. And as we taught those individuals to be the intermediary between what was going on with the aircraft and how to communicate that to the engineer in a concise, objective, non-emotional way, 
we saw a decline, a significant decline in the errors that we were making from an engineering standpoint, and we were able to resolve things like wings falling off or windows splitting open in mid-flight. But if we look back historically, again, over those last 30 years, this latent human factors causal issues that are account, again, for 85% of mishaps, that understanding has been complex. And fortunately, we don't have enough mishaps to make inferential statistical analysis of where our next one is going to be. But it also causes a compounding problem in that each mishap is different. But the one data aspect that is telling is that it's 85% of them are driven by human factors. And that's where the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program comes in. They're specialists within human systems. If you look at things like life support equipment, cockpit design, control system design from the user interface perspective, there are limitations and understandings that need to be implemented in the design, development, and engineering and implementation of those systems in order to do it correctly. One of the things we say at the schoolhouse is human factors is relatively easy. Good human factors is very, very difficult. Having the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program provides a group of specialists that have two foundational pillars to build upon and to provide expertise with. One is the academic background of understanding of their specific understanding of the human system limitation. I do cognitive ergonomics for control system design and display design. There are other people in the group who focus on physiological factors for breathing within mass-based life support systems. We have other individuals who are focused on eyes. Those individuals with their academic background also have an operational background. So it's not just understanding at a base level of what we read, what is gleaned out of reading on how to do a carrier approach or how to fly an instrument approach, which is important, that understanding, but it's also the operational understanding, the nuances of it's not just flying the instrument approach. It's flying the instrument approach in terrible weather with a limited fuel state while on a mission out in the middle of the ocean where you have nothing around you to assist you. And those stressors, as they compound, become the really complex part of the problem on how do you design a system that best supports the user. One of the things we talk about in human factors all the time is if we have an aircraft that doesn't meet performance spec, i.e. it's intended to be designed to go 500 knots, but it only does 400 knots, you can find engineers who will be able to show you mathematically why the system failed, why it did not meet specification. If you do that with human factors, or you want to look at that with human factors, you can't. There is no equation. So the example we give is, imagine a baseball team, World Series, you go down to the dugout and you say, really like what you've been doing this whole season. However, I have one favor. I want you to bat or swing the bat with only one hand today for the game. That team, based on their skill level, may be good enough to get some runs. They may even be good enough to win the entire game. However, at the end of the game, no matter what the outcome is, you'll never have an understanding of how good they could have been because foundationally they were not given the best opportunity for success in order to execute their mission that they were trying to do. So when you say human factors engineering, what is it? And why does it play such an important role in naval aviation test and evaluation? So human factors engineering is an understanding or a study of the human limitations and its interaction with the environment and how the individual both processes information, executes decisions, and interacts back to the environment in order to accomplish the task at hand. 
if you think of a mechanical engineer, they have an understanding of the material science um, or maybe a structural engineer, a mechanical engineer, the mechanisms in which you can exert energy and make changes to the world and how to design those systems. If you look at an electrical engineer, they have an understanding of how the parts of a circuit board can be designed in order to best execute what you're trying to do. If a human factors engineer has a very deep understanding of the, the human system, the limitations. So for example, with night vision goggles, most night vision goggles reside in the green color spectrum. That's an engineering choice from a human factors perspective. Green is one of the colors that you can see the most shades of. When I'm trying to represent the entire world as a single color, I need something that has the ability to show those contrasts between those different shades. And so a human factors engineer has an understanding of how the eye perceives colors, just one example, and makes those design choices informed with how the electrical engineer is designing the system, how the mechanical engineer is designing the actual structure of the system, how the optics engineer is designing the lenses. And together, they're creating a product that not only accounts for the electrical, structural, mechanical aspects, but also for the human system that's going to be utilizing it. So how has this program really helped to reduce mishaps in aircraft? It's a really good question and a really tough one to answer. It's very difficult within safety to gain an understanding of your return on investment, per se. If you don't have a mishap, how do you go back and say what we did was the effect of this? I, I got asked early on in my career, if you have two organizations identical, one organization does everything they can to be safe, and the other organization does nothing to be safe. And at the end of the year, both of them have zero mishaps. Were they equally safe? I would argue no. You want to be proactive. You want to get ahead of the system. Safety isn't everything. Within the naval aviation enterprise, we've proven time and time again that even the old adage of put the aircraft in the hangar, lock the door, and everything will be fine doesn't work. You, you can still have mishaps even when the aircraft are grounded. This understanding and attempt to create the best possible user experience and provide the best possible foundational interface and design so that we can maximize that potential, i.e. let those aviators, operators, sailors, and other DOD service members be able to swing that bat with both hands, vice going out to the plate and only being able to swing with one hand, that is the true goal of, of human factors. Again, one of the challenges is that human factors at a baseline is relatively easy. You, you can have individuals design an interface. You can have individuals code up a display. But good human factors, that takes into account the limitation of the user and how that individual is intended to utilize that system. That is a very complicated thing to do. And it requires a real skill, just as it does to build a wing or design an electrical circuit or create an engine. David, what have you learned by being a part of this program? So everything I thought I was going to learn before I joined, but while I was applying, has changed. My appreciation going out on deployment and learning about how not only we operate in the aircraft, but off of the aircraft, I don't think there's enough time to talk about all of the knowledge that was imparted in that. I say that from the perspective of, I really thought in the Aeromedical Dual Des program, I was going to learn a significant amount about the weapon systems of a specific aircraft, how we employ that. And I did. 
But the amount of information that I learned about how the systems operate together and how they have an effect on the aviators, the ground crew, the maintainers, the support personnel, the logistics chain, the engineering aspects, that was probably one of the most eye-opening aspects of the program. That exposure was only able to be had by going through the entire training pipeline in order to better understand that. There's only so much you can read and there's only so much you can communicate. And this isn't just aviation. This occurs in really any facet of work. Journalism, we, we've talked about this in the past, of, of it's one thing to read the mechanisms on how to conduct an interview, but until you do it and understanding what the nuances are and what the details are, there's really no way to gain that full understanding until there's that execution. It's the difference is that the expert knows what piece of information they need and where to look for said piece of information before they actually need it. The job of the human factors engineer is to be able to best present that information in a way that succinctly allows them to do their job to the maximum benefit without having to learn the nuances of the system, but instead get to interact with it just the way they would interact with the other components of their world. How have you shared your knowledge and how has that benefited those working around you? In my situation in particular, I get the benefit of or the privilege of teaching human factors to the future testers for the NAE. Our other aeromedical dual designators, however, interact with other engineers, other operators. They get to provide their background of understanding both from an operational standpoint and from an academic standpoint on informing decisions and providing understanding of the nuances to the people who are having to either execute the design, procure the system, or make decisions such as, we're not gonna use this system right now until it's corrected, or we're gonna take the time and effort in order to correct this, or saying this system meets specification and it's good from both the mechanical electrical propulsion engineering per se to the human factors engineering. So what would you say is the value of having someone like yourself who can really bridge the gap between the engineers, the aviators, and the aeromedical community? I think the benefit is twofold. One, you're gaining a specialist in an area that may or may not be available. It's a small community within the dual DES program. There's approximately 8 to 12, depending on how you count it right now, with additional people being trained and, and applying. But if you have that one person with a specialization, I'm of the belief that engineering knowledge or system knowledge or specialization knowledge provides benefit to a team because it allows you to make a more informed decision and have a potentially better outcome. If you were to build an airplane and I, I told you that you're going to get an electrical engineer, a propulsion engineer, a mechanical engineer, an aerodynamicist, say, that's great. I'm, I'm going to have a full team. I said, you're not going to get a human factors person. Historically, that's been able to be worked around in some instances. In the last two decades or more, there's been a big shift in where human factors have been brought into the fold. The complexities in which we work today, they're vast and they're infinitely larger than where aviation started. Having an understanding of how one discipline makes decisions informs those decisions, I believe is critically important for what the final product outcome is going to be. If I was to tell you that as a human factors engineer, I can build a cockpit by myself, I would be lying. I have to have an understanding 
from the aerodynamicist of what the intent of that aircraft is. Is it a long-range fighter? Is it a bomber? Is it a transport aircraft? Are they intended to fly? You know, it's talking to the structures individually. Are they intended to fly for a few hours? Are they intended to fly for 72 hours with in-flight refueling? If I talk to it from the tactician standpoint, maybe even outside of the engineering, like what are the mission goals for the system and what are they going to have to do it? Are they going to do it in environments where they may or may not be able to look out the window, where they may or may not be in bad inclement weather? Every one of the disciplines that works on engineering or decisions to drive the final product has other key stakeholders that play an important role in informing so that they can better implement their decisions and have an understanding of why the other groups are implementing their decisions in the way that they've chosen. So if someone is up for a very exciting challenge, how do they apply for the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program? Yeah, absolutely. So the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program is uh, relatively small, but reaching out to any of the Aeromedical Dual Designator individuals that are scattered throughout the Navy is one way. I'm also happy to have anybody reach out to me personally to discuss. And the one thing that I will mention as well is we talked about it from Staff Corps to go learn how to fly. There is an entire group within the Aeromedical Dual Des Program that started off as pilots or NFOs and then did a lat transfer to either Medical Service Corps, AOP, AEP, or the Aerospace Operational Physiologist or Aerospace Experimental Psychologist, or Flying Nurse Corps or Flight Surgeon Medical Corps. And those individuals with their prior background also have the opportunity to apply in order to continue the ability to fly, but also while doing their new job on the staff corps side in order to better inform their decisions. So David, I want to thank you for joining us to talk about the Aeromedical Dual Designator Program and the role human factors play in operational safety. Of course, if you enjoyed today's podcast, you can check out other episodes by subscribing to the Navier Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.